0: Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Daniel Shannon, a senior software engineer and technical lead at Vox Media, where he works on digital editorial content and a serial founder of defunct queer literary magazines. He once saw Julia Stiles eating alone in a bar and hopes she's doing all right. Daniel, I am so, so, so glad that you are here. The two Daniels uh, reunited professionally at last.
1: I'm delighted to be here. I feel like there's either going to be a competitive thing or sort of like a dual tap dancing thing. Maybe both.
0: Dual dual tap dancing. I'm never competitive Perfect. with you. I you know, my whole career has been hoping to eventually get to start one of those defunct queer literary magazines with you. So And I think my whole career has been chasing you down to participate in them. So you know. Perhaps the problem is, is, is with us then, if, if neither of us has been able to make this one happen. But I do want you and all of our listeners to know that I will be recording my end from a friend of a friend's apartment where there is a copy of Country Living magazine that asks the question, who is the most beloved parson in Britain? And that is going to be the spirit that informs all of my advice today.
1: Who is the least beloved Parson in Britain?
0: That was exactly, exactly my first thought. And this is why you and I need to start something that fails together. Is yes. Immediately, I thought, you got to do, do a follow-up for who just fucking hates their Parson. What yeah. little, cute, parish, full of you know, strawberry-faced kids is just like, we hate this guy. He, he's awful. And I'm just going to take a wild guess and say it's at Bromley-on-Sea, which I don't know if that's a real village, <laughs> but it sounds plausible. I am very excited to have you on the show today, in part because I think that you are correct about everything. Um, but also because there's a question of the type that I don't often get, which is from somebody who's like mourning the loss of like a bitchy friendship. Um and uh feels sort of corralled into into niceness and that feels like something that you and i are going to have a really lovely time um thinking about and pondering so um that's something that's very much on my heart for today's show do you have any goals any hopes any expectations
1: of the show today i hope we can uh restore bitchiness to all these relationships and sort of the joy of poorly thought through cruelty uh the fun of you know the fun of a cat and mouse or playfulness with the people you love
0: we're we're just gonna bring Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf energy to everybody is, is the goal for today is what I'm I'm taking away from this.
1: Absolutely. Wolves all wolves us <laughs> all.
0: Wolves everywhere. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and All right, well, then I will read our first letter, and I want to preface this, listeners, by saying it's taken me a couple of different readings to try to parse the um, different like pronoun assignments of the first sentence, and I think that it's a convoluted way of the letter writer saying, "I, the letter writer, am a man," because otherwise, if you read it the way that it seems to read, the rest of the letter doesn't make sense. But I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Daniel, because I could very much be wrong. So the subject is. Concerned Cousin. The way my, parenthesis, man, cousin's, parenthesis, female, girlfriend acts around her concerns me, and I'm worried that it's a sign of control or emotional manipulation. The girlfriend is very friendly when she's hanging out with a group of us cousins by herself, but when my cousin is around, the girlfriend immediately latches onto her arm. She doesn't talk nearly as much and focuses on my cousin instead of on the group. She spends most of her time talking quietly and listening to her, and in a way that makes me think of manipulation because she looks almost worshipful. She'll talk to anyone, but as soon as my cousin says something or even touches her, all the attention goes back to her. My cousin has always been quiet and antisocial, and she often gets her girlfriend to leave family gatherings when she wants to, even if the girlfriend is having fun with us. My cousin has always spent most family gatherings walking around finding tasks to do for older relatives or kids instead of talking to the cousins around the same age, and she'll now often have her girlfriend trailing after her doing whatever she wants to do too. We all really like the girlfriend, but can't help seeing this as my cousin not really allowing her to be herself because my cousin wants all her attention. The girlfriend is very sweet and seems like she hangs off my cousin to get her affection like she's been quote love-bombed. If my cousin were a man, I think more people would be concerned. What can I do
1: about this troubling dynamic?
0: Did you share my difficulty, by the way, in figuring out who's getting called female and who's getting called man?
1: I did share your difficulty, and try as I may, I couldn't try to you know, configure it so that they were all just the same gender. Um, I also had a lot of difficulty with... Uh, Uh, Finding tasks to do. I'm not sure if the tasks are being assigned or volunteered for or whether the older relatives are being put to work, but I think I have a rough inferential sense that it is volunteering to do labor for the family in order to find something to do.
0: Yeah. So my sense is I, the letter writer, am a man. My cousin is a yes. female. And that's, the, that's part of what's weird too. Is like, I'm a man, she's female. It's like, why are you <laughs> switching uh, in the middle of this? But fine. Has a girlfriend who I, so by my third reading, I was like, okay, I, it's clear they're not saying female girlfriend, which is nice. Cause why would you say that? And this sort of question is just, we have a lot of family gatherings and there's just a huge cohort of cousin peers who are all besties. Um, and we love to hang out and, and not do chores um, which is understandable. I also prefer hanging out to doing chores.
1: Well, except with my family is I think where I would start with this. If I'm with my family, I much prefer doing chores to spending any time with any of those people.
0: Did part of you read this as like, I don't know if any of the other cousins are gay, but like the only gay cousin prefers finding stuff to do rather than hanging out with all of her peers. Like, that's a thing, right? Like we're familiar with that as a concept.
1: I think it seems like it's in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, do you, do, you, do you have any further thoughts along those lines or any more sense of a, like, why would someone make themselves Cinderella if they didn't have to? I mean,
1: my sense is that, like, my hottest and cruelest take is that the cousin just doesn't like spending time with the rest of the family. And, I mean, maybe it seems like from that point of view, a lot of this becomes more explicable. You know, my partner is uncomfortable here, and while she does not forbid me from having fun, I would prefer to protect my partner from these uncomfortable relationships that she has with these people she would prefer not to interact with.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that was the most straightforward reading too. Not necessarily like you, letter writer, and all of your other cousins are like monsters and and you know deranged homophobes, but that your cousin has maybe felt like at best you guys are someone she wants to hold at an arm's length. And so when she comes to these events, she finds something to do. She lets whoever she's dating at the time know ahead of time, like, I want to kind of get in and get out. The girlfriend in question is like, great, I'll be like charming and take some of the heat off of you. And I like want to check in and make sure you're doing okay. And then we'll go when you're done and we can go do things that we want to do.
1: Even contextually, I wonder if they've interacted outside of big family gatherings where the idea of being friendly with your cousins might be more natural than the idea of being friendly with your cousins and extended family.
0: Right, right. So that to me seems like the most straightforward reading. I don't think it's the only possible one, so letter writer, I don't want to, you know, definitively say I bet your extended family is just a, a a real bunch of pieces of work in one big patchwork quilt called, you know, conglomerate piece of work um, and that you're all unbearable for your cousin to deal with, but The the likeliest explanation here to me, given that you've only seen your cousin's girlfriend in this one context and therefore know her a lot less well than your cousin. And frankly, that you're like, you know, if she was a guy, this would be controlling, like maybe suggests to me that you're a little difficult to get along with. I, I mean, again, like I don't, I, I don't want to, in my own way, go too far off of too little information, but it strikes me as odd that you would say my cousin, who I've never really been close with, has a girlfriend who, at family gatherings, is like chatty and friendly enough, but stays pretty close to my girlfriend and then leaves when she wants to. Sorry, my cousin, not my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> obviously, the we'll problem here is that my cousin is controlling rather than like seems more like just they don't really want to be there but they want to be polite like i'm i'm surprised that you went to you know if she were a guy this would be controlling both because would it and also she isn't i don't know i always want to free people from like if the genders were switched like then something else would be happening cuz it's just like you actually don't have to worry about that the genders aren't switched right. sometimes people do switch genders and then you can go deal with that but you don't have to hypothetically worry about like what if my cousin were a guy cuz she's not
1: absolutely and i think to even create a hypothetical scenario where it would be more controlling and manipulative is also, you know, I think takes away from the sort of uh, takes attention off the cousin herself and takes attention off the girlfriend and starts to imagine situations in which it is easier to imagine the controlling scenario that we've created in the letter. And so part of me wants to say that the best way to bring it back to sort of a baseline of reality is to uh, focus on the way the two behave and not on sort of like, what if we flip the genders? What if one were taller? What if one were shorter? What if one were you know, what if there were varying levels of attractiveness? I think all of that becomes a little bit difficult to parse compared to just what they're actually doing and saying.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I still think that's the most common reading. I'll, I'll take another scan at this um, with that reading off of the table, just uh, just because I think that might be worthwhile. So let's say that it's not a situation where your cousin has found the family at large to be slightly homophobic or difficult or kind of exhausting to be around and she's just uh doing this for kind of unknown reasons um is your goal here to get to know your cousin a little better is your goal here to spend more time with your cousin's girlfriend and get to welcome her to the family is your goal here to like do a safety check cuz nothing you've described here i think rises to the level of like something's wrong or this girl seems to be in trouble or she doesn't seem to have like license to do the things that she wants in their relationship. So I think you can take that off the table. You do not need to worry that this woman is in danger based on what you've told us here. But yeah, maybe beyond that, like, would you like for your cousin to feel more at ease at a gathering? Do you want to maybe call her and say like, hey, I know you often like do chores and stuff at the family gatherings does it bother you that the rest of us aren't doing chores? Is there more we can do to be helpful? Is it because sometimes being with us in a large group is difficult? Like I'm curious about this. I'd like to get to spend a little bit more time with you next time we have a family gathering. I don't want to put pressure on you, but is there something that I can do to make that happen? That strikes me as a fairly okay thing to say. And even if her answer is just like, oh, thanks. No, I just like to do dishes, you know, then you kind of leave it at that, but I I, I wouldn't imagine that she would find the, that sort of question framed in such a way like invasive or frustrating. Does that strike you as as a possible question? Like, if you heard a question like that from someone, would you feel sort of itchy and like leave me alone? I just want to do my dishes and go home. No, I mean I think
1: if I were uncomfortable with the question, then I would I would be able to demur in the same way that I do with you know with a family gathering in general and sort of like just not engage with it. Um, it doesn't seem like a discomfort an uncomfortable question. I also think it's a place where. Whatever the outcome is, you get to know the person a little bit better and then maybe have a better sense of what's troubling them or what's difficult in their relationships with their partner or with the family or with, you know, whatever else is happening in their lives. And so it seems like the part to start out with being curious and trying to get closer might be a way to figure out from for both of them sort of what is actually going on in the situation.
0: Yeah, I think my sort of last question here before we try to move on is do you have a sense of the way that love bombing is being used here and and why you think that that's the word that came up and whether
1: or not you think it's useful or relevant i don't to be honest um it fits into the sort of the the um reading of th- there being something violent happening and maybe something shocking or or uh destabilizing hard to react to but i really didn't know in any sort of i didn't get any clarity from this on what that actually means in a concrete sense
0: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a term that I have seen sort of gain parlance on social media over the last few years. And I'm not really sure why it's become so popular other than like, I don't know, maybe it's a slightly evocative phrase. But like, for whatever it's worth, like the expression love bombing was coined by the Unification Church, which you might know better as the Moonies. Um, It was also used by members of the Family International. So it, it has like a pretty specific origin point from like 60s and 70s era cults looking to draw members in who would like actually sign over like their property and their money. Um, So that's not to say that like meanings can't change over time, but, you know, it's specifically like a group of people in a cult overwhelming a single target individual with affirmation and affection and possibly gifts and a sense of shared identity in order to get them to join a cult and you know eventually has in some ways been picked up to talk about like abusive cycles in relationships which you know that is is a is a type of of concept drift that i think i could generally get behind but the way that it's being used here to describe this woman i've met a few times is friendly enough at family gatherings but then when her girlfriend my cousin drifts over she hangs onto her arm and talks more to her that feels just so far distant from any kind of definition of love bombing that makes sense to me that it just feels odd that you would use it here. I don't think that it strengthens any kind of argument you're trying to be making. And if anything, it makes me question this letter writer's judgment.
1: I think that sounds fair. I think it is another place where it's creating distance between the person writing the letter and the actual two people about whom they're concerned. And I think that's always going to lead to something that is more sort of a hypothetical and and uh, fantastic and somehow more violent than it actually has to be in reality.
0: Yeah, if you were noticing that your cousin were like speaking incredibly harshly to her whenever she like made a small error um or right. was like dragging her away when she was like really really just like please can we just stay for a few more minutes or like hiding her keys or something uh, then I I could maybe understand this level of concern but just the kind of shift from like friendly when we talk to her And then more dialed into and focused on her girlfriend when her girlfriend shows up. Plus, given this context where it doesn't sound like your cousin has felt very welcome within your extended family over the years. And the fact that your response to that is like further suspicion and like hostility. Like to me, that speaks to, I think there's a reason why this cousin of yours has always felt uncomfortable. And again, that doesn't mean that you, Letter Writer, are like an absolute jerk. I get that sometimes somebody who's long felt uncomfortable with a group can start to feel like a problem to the group because it's just like i like us we're nice to each other why are you always the outsider why are you always causing trouble um and i think it would i don't know maybe be useful to try to like reconsider uh the way that you view your cousin but even if you don't no one seems to be in danger here based on what you've described if you would like to reach out to your cousin a little bit more great if not you know I don't I don't really know what you want here like do you want to be like good friends with the girlfriend and be getting coffee together regularly (laughs) is it that you want her to like not talk to her girlfriend very much at parties like it just sort of feels like this makes me feel uncomfortable I don't really know why I want to stop it and I don't think you can do
1: I think if we were to locate the part of this where there is something overwhelming happening it's more with the family and with the letter writer than it is with the girlfriend and the cousin. This notion of love bombing being sort of overweening and in it's, in it's you know, a uh, taking away of choice.
0: Yeah. And there's just like always been quiet and antisocial. And it's just like.
1: Now she still is. Any
0: thoughts about that one? Like any reason that might be like a- right. any, a- like sometimes gay people don't get along great with their families for a reason. And I don't want to just assume that's the only thing going on, but there seems no curiosity on the letter writer's part. So. Yeah, you know, the good news is I don't think this dynamic is troubling.
1: Um, And it's a place to ask questions and maybe get closer around that.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if you're not prepared to ask like genuinely open-ended, non-pressureful questions, err on the side of not saying anything at all. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. I have a friend, Liz, who doesn't have many other friends. We only have a few longtime mutual pals in common, but they don't really seek Liz out anymore, and they only interact with her when I schedule a group event for everyone. I text with Liz every day, and I try to make plans with her at least once a week, since I know she's lonely and dealing with some mental health issues, which I share. I have strong caretaker instincts, and I feel like she's one of my responsibilities. I love Liz, and we've been close for over a decade, but I don't think I respect her. It can be frustrating to hear about her life. She's unemployed and not a hard worker. She uses depression and anxiety as a reason to avoid job hunting, lives in a pricey apartment that's straining her parents' retirement income and generally allows herself more leeway to lean on her safety net than other people I know. But I want to be sympathetic to her emotional needs, too. I vent to our mutual friends about her shortcomings and then feel guilty about it the next time she opens up about how she's struggling. Am I a bad friend? I try hard to be encouraging and supportive, but I find myself looking down on her partly for her dependence on me, which is in turn exacerbated by my encouragement. I feel two-faced and a little monstrous for feeling disdain but expressing only positivity. Other than her parents, I'm kind of her only lifeline, and I don't like the way that clashes with the mean thoughts I sometimes have about her. I really love, like, that today's questions are all just, like, painful ugly boils on the surface of different friendships um that doesn't always happen um and i think it's kind of nice that we're getting to see like the real problems of long-term intimacy outside of um a romantic context obviously romances have sometimes come into play in some of these letters but the the real core issue here is my feelings about my friend um and i feel like that's meaningful and useful, as is trying to suss out why do I feel like a monster? Um, I love this person. I also can't stand them. I help them the more disdain I feel for them, which in turn makes me feel more disdain. Why am I doing this? You know, certainly as my first point of advice, I would, you know, affirm, yes, letter writer, you say like, should I stop doing this? Should I stop, uh, you know, complaining about Liz to our mutual friends. Is that not a good thing? You know? Yeah. I think that that's uh, not sustainable. Um, if only because that will eventually get back to Liz, um, in one form or another. Um, and also because it might potentially, uh, harm those friendships. Um, cause you say you sometimes also schedule group events. And I think if you are sometimes, you know, calling up your friend, Sharon, and saying, I hate Liz, Liz is driving me crazy, Liz is the worst, and then later you're like, hey, Sharon, what are you doing on Saturday? Want to see a movie with me and Liz? You're going to alienate Sharon for obvious reasons.
1: And also deepen Liz's alienation from Sharon and the rest of the group.
0: Right, which, again, you might not be thinking of this, but is, in fact, like possibly one of the reasons those friends have stopped seeking Liz out is because... You know, you say you have these caretaking instincts, but you also feel monstrous. And I I kind of think one of the monstrous forms that caretaking can can take is isolation and, like, almost Munchausen by proxy. Like, if I slightly poison your other friendships and you only need me, then I have this even, like... Deeper web of dependence, resentment, superiority, disdain that I get to sort of feed on. And I get that that's not what you consciously want. And, letter writer, I don't want to say that you've necessarily been on purpose trying to isolate Liz from other people so that she has to rely on you more. Cause it, it seems clear in your letter that at least consciously you feel like that's the thing you don't want. But certainly when I just look at the things you've been doing, it seems like you've been doing things that will get you the things you say you don't want. And I think that's really interesting.
1: Well, I also noticed that the letter writer observed, uh, towards the end that some of the resentment that she feels towards Liz comes from, uh, Liz's dependence and the letter writer is aware that the encouragement, the pattern of sort of encouragement and nice, you know, sort of, a uh, uh, sugarcoating niceness then exacerbates both the dependence and the resentment. Um, so I think there's, I, I think you're right that there's something cyclical here. I also think that it sounds to me like the letter writer is very aware of it and just having trouble finding the sort of like right action to take to break out of it. Um, and that was really my first thought about this letter was that nobody wants to be anyone's project um and it's not as easy to conceal that dynamic as people think it is
0: mm-hmm.
1: um liz is probably not in the dark about the way this relationship has changed and so to say that the dependence and the you know the sort of like uh sweetness the saccharine sweetness are exacerbate one another i think goes even more deeply than it seems on the surface, because I think there's also a level on which uh, if that is the only tone your friendship has, then that's the only way you know how to communicate, then it's going to be difficult to find anything else outside of it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's you know, worth spending some time with the questions, even though it's also made me pretty unhappy. I have more than once over the years encouraged Liz to be more dependent on me. What is that doing for me? What have I been getting out of that? And that that doesn't mean that you have to like develop a mathematical proof that explains why you secretly want things that you say cause you distress. But I think it is useful information gathering and try to think through like, is it that it makes me feel more together about my own life? Is is it that it makes me feel like I am a good person? Um, Do I feel like, well, I had a rough week, but at least I feel that like I'm a better person than Liz so I can rest easier tonight. Like, I don't know what, aspects of your own self-image or your own emotional stability, you have grown to depend upon feeling in control of or better than Liz about. But that seems like worthwhile areas of investigation, probably with a therapist. You know me, I I always think when you kind of catch yourself realizing, oh, I've been doing something that leads to results that I think I don't like, but I do it a lot, so why why is that happening? I think that's usually a good opportunity to speak with a therapist. And then I think with your mutual friends, the ones that you have been complaining about with Liz, the best way to make sure you don't keep doing that is to tell them that you want to stop and to apologize. Um, and that might feel awkward or difficult to do, but my guess is that they will appreciate it. And to just say, "Hey, I've noticed that I have complained to you about Liz a lot." And I don't think that that's fair to you to have to, you know, hear me vent constantly. And I don't think it's actually a useful way to deal with any frustrations that I have with Liz. So I am sorry for putting that on you. And I'm committed to stopping. And I am going to, uh, you know, find uh, better places to, you know, handle whatever feelings come up for me than just complaining to you endlessly. So uh, I'm sorry and I'm going
1: to stop. I would ever so gently modify that and suggest that. Please. One thing I think the letter writer should know is that that kind of resentment that she's feeling, I think, is a fairly natural part of a relationship that, in fact, is sort of disproportionately built around caretaking. Um I don't think that it's the part of the relationship that should be, you know, the sort of like overweening and dispositive factor of it, but I also think the letter writer is not going to feel any better and not going to make the situation any better by trying to convert to sainthood, you know? Oh, I
0: absolutely. No, I I, I don't mean that they should then just like go back to their relationship with Liz as it is. I I think, frankly, they should probably be wrapping it up. But I, I think that bitching about Liz to these mutual friends and then encouraging Liz to depend on her is, yes. is, is needs to stop. And one of the ways to start is by telling the friends, I'm not going to keep doing this. But no, absolutely not. It's not like keep doing all of this, but stop complaining. That would well, be <laughs> nightmarish. That would result in you— maybe murdering Liz. Don't do that.
1: Even in the letter writer's own mind, as she's trying to think about either ending this relationship with Liz or repairing this relationship with Liz and her other friends, um, I would just caution her, caution the letter writer to think about a bar for how she manages that that is lower than, like, I I apologize for doing this and will not do it again, Um, which I don't think is precisely what you're suggesting, Danny, but I also think is a sort of another... I think that's the other trap that one can fall into. One is just total contempt, and one is uh, total sainthood, which is, in fact, contempt through a glass starkly.
0: Right. And I would never suggest to someone you know, who was writing in and said, like, you know, every once in a while I'm frustrated with a friend and I talk about it to somebody else for a bit. Like, you know, my goal is not never, ever vent Um, or never, ever say something, you know, mildly snide. Um, but this dynamic feels so intense and ongoing, um, that it feels way outside of the realm of, of sort of like bog standard or garden variety friendship conflict. Um, you know, to me, the key here is like, I want to be sympathetic to Liz's emotional needs. Sure. But you're not like, This is a situation where you, I think, are letting what you would like to be reality get in the way of reality. Like It would Mm -hmm. be great if you were capable of being a really good friend to Liz. It would be great if wanting to be a friend to Liz meant you were, but you are not capable of it. You have a decade's worth of evidence that you are not. Um, And I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's going to change even if you try really, really hard or feel really, really bad about yourself. I think you have successfully run this experiment. You have gotten as much information as you need. And the answer is no, I'm not a good friend to Liz. Um, I don't think you should be unloading all this onto her because I think it would cause her a lot of unnecessary pain. But, you know... I think you need to stop encouraging her to be dependent on you. It doesn't sound to me like she ever wrote to you and said, please be my caretaker. Um, So I think you need to like quietly resign from that job. She never actually handed you. So the texting every day getting together at least once a week, I think you need to scale it way back. And that might mean having a conversation with Liz. And I realize that that might feel really daunting or upsetting because you have avoided direct conversations with Liz at all costs. Um, but you're going to need to be able to say to her, I got to scale back. And if that upsets her, you say, I'm sorry, but that's what I need. Because that is so much kinder to her than, yes, tell me what's upsetting you so that I can go like talk shit about how stupid that is like that's a really fucked up dynamic um and it would be much better to have a little honest like decrease in frequent texting than to just like what's the other alternative keep it up forever you can't keep this up forever you'll snap
1: i think that sounds right i do think that you're the most important part of that to me is having some kind of explicit conversation about it that i think to your point is not you know i resent you constantly and can't do this anymore but is maybe brings in some of what Danny was asking about, you know, what is your need here? What do you think you want for Liz here? And like, just makes it explicit because clearly so much of this is not even spoken about that. I think it would be healthy to not healthy. That's a horrible word. I think it would be good. <laughs> I think you would both feel better. Um, unhealthy or healthy. You would both feel very good to sort of know what the terms were explicitly, know what, know what kind of relationship you have up, up front and clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I understand that you don't want to be her only lifeline, but you're not a good lifeline for her. I mean, you're better than like a a murderer, but you know you don't actually respect her. You don't actually like her. You are not discharging whatever responsibilities you've assigned yourself here healthily, insanely, and, and well. And so this idea that you have right now is like, well, but if I back off, or if I'm even like lightly and kindly honest with her about not wanting to be as close as we have been, then she won't have the all important lifeline of me. And I think that that, you know, again, like just line that up next to reality and say like, do I think that someone who does the things that I do is actually a good lifeline? And that's not like me asking you to say out loud, I admit I'm truly a fundamentally bad person. Um, But you have not been a good friend to Liz and I want to resist making you feel better about the part of yourself that's like, I'm afraid I'm a monster because I feel like what you're consciously or unconsciously hoping for in that moment is reassurance of like, no, you're just in a really difficult situation. No, Liz really just is that difficult to empathize with. Um, I, I don't know Liz. I might If I met Liz not like her at all, I might not feel sympathy for any of her problems. That's not the question. The question is why the more you realize you don't care about Liz's problems, the more you think that she's the responsible party for some of her issues, the more you think she's bad at being anxious and depressed, the more you decided to encourage her to rely on you. That is the issue here. Um, way more than any question of whether or not Liz could be dealing with her various diagnoses better. Way more than like whether or not she leans too much on her support system. I mean, the issue is when you realized you didn't like someone, you leaned way into the friendship and making them depend upon you. And that is a really bad dynamic. And I don't want you to do it again in the future. I don't want you to foster other friendships with people you feel contempt for because that will hurt them and that will hurt you. It's bad and I want you to stop. so that's I think my 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 best answer to like am I a bad friend? I don't want to say like categorically you could only ever be a bad friend to anyone. I think that's too harsh. Have you been a pretty bad friend on balance to Liz? Yeah, I think that's pretty true. Um does she need to know the full extent of it if she doesn't already in order for you to relieve yourself of your guilt? No. You don't need to go out of your way to like you know, unleash all your honesty on her now so that you can feel better about lying. Um, But, you know, yeah, you've been a bad friend to Liz. It is possible to stop. It is possible to be a better but more distant friend to her that is within the realm of your abilities. And it's possible to not repeat this pattern with other people. So I hope that answer feels both like honest and... Not trying to let you off the hook, but also hopeful in that it is not consigning you to a future of feeling like an asshole forever.
1: I have truly nothing to add at this point. That was well said and well, yeah, I can't add yeah. anything to that.
0: Yeah, we all get frustrated with our friends sometimes. Nobody is perfect towards their friends all the time. But if you are constantly, constantly feeling contempt for someone you text every day, you have done something outside of the bounds of like regular conflict and and you got to you got to figure out why do i want to be the caretaker for someone i don't like or respect why do i want to cast myself in that role what does that say about how i see my own worth the worth of others um, what intimacy, like, how does that enable me to control the flow of intimacy? How does that protect me from having to be vulnerable in a situation that I wouldn't be comfortable in, et cetera, et cetera. Talk that over with your therapist. Um, I don't want to like give you a bunch of possible explanations just because, uh, at that point I would be inventing a version of you that I think is real, but, um, whew, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's, it's interesting to think about Different forms of monstrousness, or resentment, or rage that one can take towards a non-romantic partner. I think that's um, interesting fodder. Not that either of us would know. Neither of us have ever behaved or thought anything monstrous.
1: I think my, my the thing I keep coming back to with a lot of these letters is um, that it's important to make space for monstrousness. That monstrousness is on some level only human. Um, and I think maybe the the thing that you know gets love disrespectfully into trouble as you're observing, is the wish to be so much not a monster and so disavow the monstrous parts of themselves that uh, it becomes a sort of like a tortured cyclical relationship. Um, yes. But I think, I, I don't know, I think violence is a sort of natural part of the way that we interact with one another. But I am in therapy with a Freudian, so like it's hard to say anything else.
0: Understandable. Yeah, and I I think I, I very much share that sentiment. It is not that we should be shocked or horrified to find evidence of monstrousness in ourselves, um, but it is often, in fact, the very like inability to acknowledge for even a second the possibility of monstrousness that leads to greater and greater monstrousness. So the goal is not never think badly of someone else, but say something nice. Uh, the goal is not never be impatient or frustrated or think somebody else isn't doing a good job. The goal is, you know... Be as honest as we possibly can about what kind of friendship we want from somebody else um, and not to try to seek out someone else's weaknesses or vulnerabilities for exploitation and then get trapped into a cycle of like guilt, self loathing, uh, offloading that self loathing onto somebody else that we see as problematical um, and then like wash and rinse as repeat. Wash right. and repeat as necessary. I'm very jet lagged. Uh, it's the future here and I'm tired. And I'm gonna find out who the least loved Parse. I think that's actually way better than the the most hated, the least loved least parsing.
1: loved, yeah, absolutely. That yeah. leaves a lot of room for ambivalence and discomfort. I feel like I would yeah. love to be either photoshopped onto that cover or a judge in the least loved parson contest, maybe both.
0: I'm gonna see what I can do. As always, I am grateful to you for your bracing and clarifying uh affection and caustic eye so thank you so so much for being your magnificent uh, and just beautifully human self
1: you are a terribly insightful podcaster and host and i'm glad to have been here fuck you for saying a terribly insightful podcaster <laughs> you have damned a me a fake praise. We both know it. frustrating podcaster and host
0: don't think i didn't see the little twist of the knife um i look forward to returning home and watching all about eve with you again sometime very very soon
1: very very soon
0: here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Letter writer, it sounds like you're aware that in the past, your kind of no-holds-barred conversation with this close friend of yours has sometimes excluded other people or meant that other people didn't like you. And in the past, that hasn't bothered you. That hasn't been a problem. But it also sounds like you've at least been aware on some level that this isn't the kind of speech you you share with everyone. You're not like this at work. You're not like this maybe with everybody that you date you're not like this with people on the subway or some of your, I don't know, older relatives. So I I think you do know on some level that this is like a level of maximal honesty and often like maximal rudeness that you and your friend have shared and earned with one another. So I think it's probably at least fair to say like it shouldn't be a way of engaging with other people that you bring out the first time you meet them. And, you know, if you're just like, absolutely not, that is what I want to do my whole life. And if people don't like it, that is my way of screening for them you can. I think, you know, the downsides to that one are fairly obvious and will include losing a lot of different friendships. But if that's not the case and you are willing to make some tweaks, I think you can say my first mistake was I went like right away into fully intense that mode the first time I met my friend's new girlfriend. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood